Hey everyone, welcome to the best of season one of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm Ben Ronald. I'm on the content team here at Clue, helping Adam produce this podcast, among other things. Adam's off taking a well-deserved vacation this week. It's been an incredible first season of the Competitive Enablement Show, so we wanted to do a little year in review and stitch together some of our favorite moments from season one. Uh, the first interview clip you'll hear is actually the very first question from the very first episode way back in April. And if you stick around right to the end, you'll hear some of mine and Adam's uh, less brighter moments. So sit back or keep walking or keep cleaning or whatever you do while you listen to podcasts. And please enjoy the best of season one of the Competitive Enablement Show. Hey everyone. Hey everyone. Hey everyone. Hey everyone. And welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen. And today I was joined by James Doman Pipe, Ryan Sorley, Justin Topliff, Fiona Finn, Tasha Narayan. And today's episode was a fun one, actually. We talked about how he scaled the program to serve an end user base that's tripled in size, why churn analysis is so valuable and often overlooked, how she scales the influence of her competitive program across different teams in the organization. He also shared some of his most successful and unsuccessful competitive strategies and what you can do to create engaging content that will actually get consumed by your audience. With all that said, with that all said, and with all that said, let's get into today's episode. I'm really excited today to be joined by one of the uh, long-standing members on our customer success team. It's Alex Organ. You've worked alongside a lot of product marketers and competitive leaders. Why is sales so important to the success of the program and the rollout? Yeah, absolutely. So I think rolling out a new piece of software to any sales team is a challenge. It's really hard, but there are reasons that we need to do it. Um, increasing revenue is definitely a big one of those. Accelerating deal sizes, deal speeds, all of those different factors come into play. But it can be a real challenge um, getting folks to adopt a new tool when they haven't asked necessarily for that tool. So there are a couple a couple of different tips that we can suggest and that we highlight for really trying to get sales to adopt these tools. One of the things that I think is really, really key and that is present throughout all of our, our customers is executive sponsorship. So getting buy-in from all of those teams, whether it's sales leaders, sales enablement, we often work with product marketing teams. So getting those other teams on board, even the C-suite of different teams is crucial um, because we're going to need to use their influence and their leadership to really speak to the value of why we're asking uh, sales to adopt this new tool. Today, I am joined by Senior Product Marketing Manager at Highspot, Justin Topliff. I want to jump to some, I guess it's a little bit more executional. How do you provide competitive intel to those reps or those account managers that are experienced? And then how do you also, you've got all of these new faces coming in and you're growing at such a rate that you can't always be one-on-one -on -one with them. How do you get new people on board to buy into this competitive program or buy into using and sharing competitive intel? I think it's a huge obstacle for a lot of people that are part of high growth companies is yeah, you can get your foot in the door, you get your early champions, but then there's new people every day coming in. Like how do you keep present? My first piece of advice is to make CI fun and relatable. So product marketers are great storytellers. I raced cars for 10 years and I also love the movie Talladega Nights. 
And as such, you know, as I was sitting here thinking, God, how am I going to get, you know, everybody, especially, you know, in our new higher classes, people who aren't sales reps, like interested in compete, I decided to snap our story to the ballad of Ricky Bobby. And <laughs> so my, in my new higher onboarding classes, I tell this story of, you know, Hey, we're on this, we're all in this race. Uh, the racetrack is crowded. It's a really tough race. And yeah, our number one competitor is Jean Girard, you know, and he's arguably a good driver, but nobody really likes him. And, you know, his car is expensive, but it breaks all the time and it's expensive to fix. And I start drawing all of these analogies and corollaries, you know, to our, our competitors and their products and, you know, how we compete against them. And that story has served us so, so well. And even beyond our new higher onboarding classes, it's it's the thread that I weave every competitive development and new asset and everything else through. And by doing something as simple as like relating my CI program back to the story, you know, in to, to Ricky Bobby's story, you know, Ricky Bobby's trying to win the race and, you know, do well. Um, something as simple as that, I cannot tell you the dividends that it has paid. And it's also helped foster this, this culture um, where our entire company, we have a, a, a compete Slack channel and it is the most subscribed to and the most active Slack channel in the entire company, aside from like the all employee, you know, all general one that all of us have. So I think making something, you know, turning something that can be very, very dry, you know, and very complex and into something fun and relatable is definitely my first piece of advice. All right. Today, I am joined by Clara Smith, the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Slack. I had like three or four enablement questions that bubbled up into my head. There. Oh, like, let's hear it. Bring it on. Bring it on. We'll jump in that well, black hole. Let's well, do it. I, I am curious <laughs> because like you mentioned that you said your request is, the, the salesperson wants you to come in as the face of neutrality, right? And that's an interesting point because when I've listened to some other, uh, I actually listened to Anthony Iannarino. He was on our podcast with Jacob, um, one of our AEs. And he mentioned that one of the keys to competitive selling is as a salesperson being able to be perceived as a trusted advisor and someone that can be trusted and is not the, the typical um used car salesman that's trying to ship you a bill of goods. So <laughs> I, I, I guess when, when I heard you say that, I'm like, is where is there something from the competitive side that you can enable or support your sales team to feel comfortable that they're coming across in the trusted as a trusted advisor rather than someone that's loaded, like has an implicit bias and is bashing the competitor? Yeah. I think it completely comes down to the tone, Adam, that you come across. Tone is so underrated in competitive intelligence, but it can make or break a deal. And if the sales rep, say, is maybe a little inexperienced in their time or maybe new to the industry or new to the product, they're more likely to call up CI. If you have a five, 10-year veteran who's done it before, seen it all before, they most likely want the talk track, right? They most likely want the silver bullet so that they can do it themselves. And I see this actual curve drop off of, you know, you, you're going to ramp AEs or account executives up on CI and they're going to reach a point where they don't really need you anymore. And that's when you know you've succeeded. And when I say they don't need you, it means that they don't need the handholding. 
they still need the newsletter. They still need the most latest insights. They still need your analysis and your marketing content and everything that you have to create, but they're not going to be the ones calling you day in and day out um, for coaching and for support and for these unique installments uh, with customers. It was our first ever live episode. And I was joined by Ryan Sorley, the CEO of Double Check Research. That's funny when you mentioned like talking about win, win interviews and the stuff that comes from that too. That's naturally when we talked about earlier, like the potential hesitation among sales folks or other teams as well for just negative feedback. It's like, no, let's find the trends and why we win too. And share those amongst the organization. Give the sales reps that are having killer sales cycles, doing a great job through their through the entire sales cycle give them the shout outs give them the kudos and then use that information to kind of inform and educate other sellers on the team as well i also on the interview side of things negative questions what are the questions you should not be asking or the types of questions you should not be asking during a win loss <laughs> well um you know you should kind of go with the flow on a win loss interview and and probe into areas that that are important i i think it's about how you ask the question and when you ask the question in the discussion. I think that that is is important. Um, you know, you you don't want to. It's not a question, but I'll, I'll kind of answer that in a little bit of a, a different way. You don't want to do things like handle objections. Uh, we we have a, a client who recently signed up with us, and they said that they had been doing win loss interviews internally, and and they had recently listened to one of them and found that the person who conducted the interview halfway through started to handle the objections of the person that they were interviewing. Like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> that is not the point of a win-loss interview. You want to be a safe haven for, for feedback and information. People will not agree to the interview if they feel like they're going to be resold or attempted to be resold. So, you know, qu bad questions to ask. I can't really, I can't think of bad questions to ask, but, but there's bad things to do for sure. All right. Today I am joined by Alex McDonald, the market and competitive intelligence lead at Airtable. Like you mentioned, your, your competitive career so far has been a lot of trial and error, a lot of learning by doing. Yeah. What were some of the lessons you took? I'd say the biggest one is even if you don't have a formal team, around CI. Maybe you are a team of one or a team of, you know, one third of, <laughs> of one PMM's time that it absolutely takes. Uh, it takes a team and it takes also this, this really interesting mix of patience and bias for action, bias for sort of, sort of urgency and to do this well. So what I mean there is like, take the example of writing a news briefing about a new competitor product launch. I had some formative experiences where as a team of one, I was like, all right, this is my time to sort of jump on this news, get it out to the company, provide my hot take. And everyone is going to, you know, appreciate the clarity that I bring, the point of view that I bring. And I didn't run it by anyone uh, before I just blasted it out to like sales team and an exec team and marketing team. And what are the takes, what a couple of the takes I had in there were very questionable, um, in terms of what we what we should do about it, basically, you know, I was I was getting into like we should uh, not pursue like this whole chunk of the market because of this competitive move, like way sort of rushing ahead, giving competitor a little too much credit. But this, the specific point of analysis wasn't the lesson. It was to do this well. I need to actually have kind of an inner circle, even though I'm the only one that's formally tasked with this. Uh, I need to establish a working group that I can I can run 
these new perspectives, news events, new changes, just new thoughts on how we position uh, to run those things by before we go and broadcast. And it's, it, it took sort of overcoming a bit of a, a personality bias of mine where I want to, I want to get something out there. I want it, uh, you know, I have a kind of a bias for, for just getting things out there, even when they're incomplete, which, which often serves me really well. But in, in those cases, you want to have that pause, collect some feedback, you know, give it 24 hours, like step away from it a little bit, and then, you know, send out your briefing on the competitive uh, news event, the competitor product launch, competitor acquisition, whatever it is, that shakeup. And it's so powerful if you do that, because now my, my briefings look totally different. It'll be like, hey, I'll send the first draft to that team, but then we'll work on it and they'll, they'll have like, they'll have great quotes and points of view for me. We'll work those in. I send it out. I'm, I'm like name dropping six people in the briefing that all helped me uh, sort of pull this together. And so there's a moment of recognition for them. But then I'm also like quoting them. Like if it's a competitor product launch, for example, I might go to the product manager on our team that works on sort of the most like closely related section of our product and ask for their take and ask for how it, you know, intersects or, or doesn't inter or diverges from our product plans. Okay. Now I can like quote that person in there, like with their take. So it actually looks a lot more like an actual news article. Like you've collected quotes and perspectives from people that, um, that, that, that know what they're talking about. And you, you're the one that's kind of just, just giving it some shape and structure. What does this mean for customers? What might this mean for us? That was a big lesson of the, the importance of that inner circle and the importance of that, just taking those the moments of pause and moments for feedback at the right times, especially when, uh, you know, my biases were just telling me to, to get something out there and uh, maybe a little, a little careless at times. What was the reaction when you were flying free, solo mission, <laughs> bang, here it is. The key it was, to uh, unlocking all of our business. It was a, it was like emails from my boss saying, Hey, can you give me a quick call? Like you don't want to, you don't want to be on the receiving end of those. All right. Today I'm joined by two guests, actually. Uh, first off, I'm joined by Nick Larson, the product marketing manager at Banana Tech. We're also joined by Clue's very own Brandon Bedford who is an account executive with us. In addition to closing deals, Brandon has also done an awesome job of running our own competitive newsletter. In your newsletter, you're kind of framing how sales should be talking about certain competitors. I know Anthony Reno at the summit was like, kill them with kindness. Don't be the person that's just taking low blows. Like, Acknowledge where they're good at, but then where do you differentiate? And then like you mentioned on the ankle bite thing, it's like acknowledge them as that. Um, so Brandon, what, what do you think of when you hear that? Yeah, to, to add on to that point, I think I think there's almost layers to it because I think the one of the privileges of a competitive newsletter is that's purely internal communications. And so you can get fun with it. You can add emojis. You know, we have this kind of you know running inside joke here at Clue that we all love the old television series Friends. And so every subject line of our digest, I put, you know, the one with so-and-so competitors rebrand, right? And for those of you that don't watch Friends, every episode is named in that way. So we make it fun. I think to your point, Nick, though, like you can get pretty spicy and direct in the newsletter. There is an element of training for sales to say, hey, let's don't go super direct. You know, you need to lay a landmine with grace and speak about competitors in a way that doesn't sound like it's, you know, you're butting heads with the, the client. Uh, but that being said, if you're training your and enabling your sales team properly, the newsletter is a really fun way to, to really just go go hard in the paint. One thing I guess I'll add to is that, that um, if you, uh, yeah, if you want to make it more fun, if you want to kind of take it that extra mile, like it's not 
not just maybe, and maybe this will be kind of the way to go at bigger organizations is you can go out of your way to find competitive stories that are fun. Um, even if they don't maybe necessarily add value, like one of my favorite ones to add is complaints about working at our competitors on Glassdoor. Oh, that, yeah. doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't exactly make reps, uh, you know, more, uh, more powerful in deals, but it does help boost their confidence. It does give them a laugh. It does give them a reason to read. It does give them a reason to like our company and our product versus our competitors. Right. So there's definitely some, uh, some like little, little fun things like that, that you can seek out to, to improve your Intel digest. Brian, you, have you had any jokes that have just fallen flat on their face yet? Um, I think it took two or three weeks for people to realize the friends joke in this subject line. <laughs> uh, and I was surprised by that, um, but uh, I digress. We have a very special episode guest hosted by Cluzone Jacob Geberold. Jacob spoke with Anthony Anarino, the author of the book, Eat Their Lunch, which covers all things competitive selling. I am very excited for this episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I don't know if you've ever read a book that systematized a challenge that you've consistently come up against and you finally found it and you go, man, I really wish I could talk to the person that wrote this because I've got a ton more that I want to dig into. It feels like you've been walking in the desert for a while on a topic and you finally find some water and you want to talk to the guy that sprung the well. Well, we've got him here on the podcast if competitive selling is your jam. And there's so much to unpack there, but I feel like a great place to start. Like you've done a really thorough job, I think, building from the ground up in this book. Um, But I feel so much of the misunderstandings people have around competitive selling uh, do as much to hurt them as the things that they should know that they don't know. So, I mean, are there like really common uh, lies around competitive selling that stand out to you that you just want to disavow someone of in order for them to start competitively selling on the right foot? I, I, I mean, the first and the easiest one to identify is that people think they lost because of their competitor's price. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's the first and the easiest one is to say they under, they underbid me and, and that's why they won the business. No, that's not why they won the business. They believed that that was a better decision than hiring you. That's what they believed. And price was part of it, but there were other factors that were part of it too. Maybe you didn't create enough value. Maybe you didn't explain the differentiation well enough for them to recognize the differentiation or how meaningful it would be to them. So there's a complicated mix of things that cause people to mistakenly believe something that lets them off the hook. All right. Today, I am joined by Natasha Narayan, the CEO and co-founder of Iceberg IQ. This is officially the first in-person podcast we've done. We're in Clue HQ right now. So... Listeners, if you hear some like bustling in the background, that's just, we're moving and shaking here now. It's awesome. So how do you treat a churn interview? How is it different to a win-loss interview in your eyes? Yeah, and it's interesting on that point that you just mentioned, I was thinking about an interview even I did last week where they wanted to go with our client, but the engagement, um, the execution from the sales perspective, really, they just, they unfortunately weren't responsive enough. They didn't didn't get the sense that the vendor really wanted their business, whereas with the competitors, they really did, and they were super responsive. They brought the right team on every call, and so they're not necessarily going to give that feedback when they have a, a call with a rep. Um, because it's really hard to tell somebody about that. So when we're interviewing churn versus win-loss, 
Win-loss is more about the evaluation, so leading up to the actual decision, um, who they looked at, what the pros and cons were, what the decision process was. Um, we spend a lot of time upfront understanding what they were actually setting out to achieve and what success criteria they had. Whereas with the churns, we do we do also try to uncover like what the vision was or what they wanted to achieve, but it's much more about the actual experience. So we we work to find out exactly what their journey was like from from signing, like even that handoff from sales to onboarding, and then right through the um, the relationship, whether it be you know a year or multiple years, um, the adoption phase, where did things start to go wrong, what worked really well. Uh, what was the final straw, really? Who did they ultimately go to and why? And then, so we're looking fe for feedback around the engagement, the product, um, the competitors. You know, sometimes there's changes within the organization on the client side and from the vendor side. So all of that we're pulling out during that during that interview. And and those insights are differing from win loss in terms of the the folks you're talking to now. They've had, there's not just a perception of the value, they've actually had to experience it. They've had whatever, say a year of hands-on with the product, with the services team, with the customer success team. And so it's not just um, perception in that regard, it's actual tangible what they've had as an experience. How do those insights differ that you uncover there? And obviously this is all in regards to kind of informing your go-to-market strategy. And oh, there's a lot of other areas, but for product marketers, focused on competitive intelligence. How do those insights differ, mm -hmm. really? Yeah, so I'd say with the churns, um, <clears throat> we're still able to find out some marketing uh, insights, sales insights, if account managers are related as well. Um, but it is more about the actual journey. But I think that that's the key is around that competitive intelligence. Like somebody is trying to win their business while they're in that relationship with you already. And that that those conversations are happening much earlier. So I think that's really key as well. Um, a lot of CS practices will have um, touch points, you know, 90 days before the renewal, 30 days before the renewal. But in fact, what we're finding through our research is that it's really 12 to 18 months before that renewal date that organizations, if, if they start to see that things are going well, they're actively looking for alternatives. Today, I'm joined by Scott Kim, who has led competitive programs at various companies. He was formerly a director and analyst at Gartner and has ran or built competitive programs at Hitachi, G Digital, Wind River and Conga to name a few. So he knows a thing or two about competitive. Here's an example, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, oh yeah, so, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear some examples here too. Yeah, so when I went to Conga as an example, our win rates were atrocious. We were, our win rates were, you know, really low, let's put it that way. And what we've done is look at what's the solution we can to improve the win rates. And after a lot of cross-functional interviews, so to speak, the one thing we learned is uh, a lot of the AEs were pretty new to the company and they didn't really understand the market or the product or whatever it is. So what we did was we created the concept of a weekly war room for that specific product that had really low win rates. And what the war room consists of is all subject matter experts through all the different cross-functional teams, product management, product marketing, engineering, professional services, sales operations, and really key sales leaders who knew the market well, who've been at the company for many years. And basically on a weekly cadence, we have an AE that will come with their deal that we pulled out of the CRM system. Usually the criteria was new logos above a certain dollar amount, 
and we talked about their deal for the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes, we as a subject matter experts will give kind of like a, a, a very short burst sales enablement training on this is what you should do. This mm -hmm. is the reason why the competitive products is, uh, whether it be better or maybe that's their narrative, we're here to help the salesperson understand what the full landscape is to enable that person to kind of sidestep away from all the FUD or the landmines and to be able to get to the deal to pole position or cross the finish line. All right. Today, I am joined by Fiona Finn, the Director of Product Marketing at Unbounce. If you had advice or suggestions or what you think yeah, needs to change with companies where it's just the product marketer or the person charging competitive, they're doing that off the side desk work. Like competitive yeah. is one of a million things they're doing. And this competitive stuff, like they kind of know what's happening. You know, you're getting ad hoc requests kind of all over the place a little bit. Mm. But I, I guess sell, selling the value of CI to, to leadership if they're not already bought in. I think you need that, you need that entry point, you need that gateway moment, right? And I think that if you were trying to do that initial trust exercise, you need to invest in it, right? You need to deliver something that is truly, truly valuable. So my recommendation is that if you were looking for a way to build that trust, position yourself as the leader of CI and really get an awareness and trust of why CI is important, uh, I would recommend just starting with a blank slate and educating your leadership team over what your competitive landscape is. Um, and it's really interesting because then when you think about your leadership team, you have all those different flavors of the business that you're trying to support, right? You have that sales head, right? You have that marketing eye, you have your CFO who's thinking about the revenue metrics. So when presenting to your leadership team, it's kind of like the Spice Girls, right? Everyone has their very clear personality. They all have their own interests. You know, it's going to resonate most with different ones. So I would say, be sure to make sure you are including hard numbers and data to satisfy, you know, people operating at a leadership level. I would say, make sure that you are not excluding different parts of the business in your recommendation or in the tenets of research that you include, include your bits of product insights, include your sales processes, include your marketing message and differentiators. Um, and then one thing I've learned as well, I found that leadership love really easy to consume matrix or landscape views of your position in the market, right? These people are consuming so much information that they need to have like a clear way to understand where you sit, where competitors sit, how you differentiate. And even if you can break down your competitive landscape presentation to three slides of really clear differentiation opportunities, that should build their trust, right? That should give them what they need to support their teams and have a clear idea of where you sit, what you need to do to continue to like blow the roof off growth for your company. I don't think we can top a Spice Girls reference. So I think this is like the perfect note to close on. And there you have it. The best of season one of the Competitive Enablement Show. A sincere thank you to all of our guests and listeners who helped make this show what it was. We really couldn't do it without your support. Keep your eye on this feed in the new year for season two of the Competitive Enablement Show. Happy holidays from everyone here at Clue. And we'll catch you later. Yeah, so you guys can start whenever.
I, I don't know why I did that. Like, we were starting a filming, like, <laughs> filming session. Yes, can start whatever. Go. You need to get a blooper reels with this again. Ooh. All right, we got a long intro on our hands here, amigo. So I f***ed this up a couple times. My bad. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today we're diving in how... All right, check mic, check mic. One, two, three. At least it's not just me editing this and recording this. Now you have to deal with it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to season one of the... Comp- Best of season one. Idiot. Record. I have nightmares about forgetting to record. <laughs> I'll literally wake up. A quick technical note. My worst podcast nightmare did come true this episode. We had some recording issues about 27 minutes in or so. So if there's like an awkward stop start transition, apologies. I promise it won't happen again. Uh, actually, it might, but... I'm going to try my best. Anyways, I'm hoping that I have the, f- the full Zoom meeting. If it starts kicking us out, then we can jump back in. I don't know why. Sometimes it lets me, sometimes it doesn't. But let's get this thing going. Uh, I realized that I do. I think it's because I'm not on my the pro account right now that I'm going to get booted in four minutes. Should we just so, quit and uh, rejoin? We, we'll leave yeah, rejoin and we can get into engagement consumption. And Okay, cool. Right. Cool. See you in a bit. Apologies.